Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, it's a forward-looking business model that brings people of all backgrounds to the table. Will the Seaport's Omni Hotel project forever change how Boston does business? Later in the show, we've got the inside scoop on this Sunday's National Ice Cream Day and New Englanders' obsession with handmade ice cream. We're all screaming for ice cream in our conversation with local ice cream innovators and author Amy Edinger, whose book Sweet Spot chronicles America's love of ice cream and her own. But first, joining me in the studio, Dwayne Jackson, vice chairman of the Massport Board of Directors. Dwayne is also the chairman of the Real Estate Strategic Initiatives Committee for Massport. Welcome, Dwayne. Thank you, Kelly. I'm glad to have you. Greg Janey, founding partner and chief executive of Janey Construction Management and Consulting in Boston. Hello, Greg. Hello there. Glad to have you. And Mikyung Kim, landscape architect and owner of the firm Mikyung Kim Design in Boston. Welcome, Mikyung. Glad to be here. Well, this is huge. This project is huge. The deal is huge. Many people have used the word transformative in speaking about it, which is not exactly a word that you would apply to most business deals, let's face it. So I want to begin by trying to explain to people why it's such a big deal. First of all, we're talking about the Omni Hotel that's going to be built on the corner of Summer and D Streets. It's across from the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center. It's going to add a thousand rooms. It's a luxury hotel with spa, a huge ballroom, and other amenities that anybody would want to have in their town. In this town particularly, in Boston, we lack hotel rooms to attract big conventions, so this is a big deal on just that front. But it's how the deal came together. It's what the deal is that makes a difference. And Dwayne, you're the person that came up with the idea for this, which essentially wove the language of diversity into the bidding process process. to attract teams that made that a value. Talk about that, if you will. So Massport is not only a transportation company, but it is an economic development engine for the region, representing about $15 billion regionally. We have about $22 billion in real estate assets, and a lot number of them are concentrated in the seaport area, arguably one of the hottest real estate markets in the country at this point. So we believe that we could leverage a public policy to benefit diverse groups, by deploying our real estate assets in certain types of ways. And by overlaying this policy on this transaction, we were able to introduce diverse participation at three levels. One, ownership. There was an equity component. Two, professional services. And then three, because it's a hotel, workforce development. So with respect to that, the idea was to develop strategic initiatives within Omni 
to ensure that there was participation at all levels of the employment spectrum. So for people who are saying, okay, that's interesting, but I know I've heard about other projects in Boston and elsewhere where there's been minority participation. I want to go back to what you said at the beginning, which is ownership and equity. This looks very different. And that, in fact, the teams that bid for the project were not considered seriously unless they had as a component of the bid a very clear minority equitable partnership. That's right. So Mm -hmm. this is the the component that distinguishes this project from any other in the city and historically is that we integrated diversity as an equal criteria with team composition, financial capacity, design, and and an ability to execute. We layered 25% of the value for the diverse component. From my perspective, and I think from Massport's perspective, it's a game changer. And I am proud to say that to be a part of that is that we will deploy all future real estate assets under this policy. That's my guest, Dwayne Jackson. He's vice chairman of the Massport Board of Directors and also chairman of the Real Estate Strategic Initiatives Committee for Massport. We're talking about the Omni Hotel project, which is a game changer, a transformative project, as has been described by many. And I'm also joined by Greg Janey. And Greg, you came to the project because your bid reflected exactly what they were looking for for this project. We came to the project as part of the development team. And I think Duane did a great job explaining how different this procurement process is from the norm. So I want to just, for a frame of reference, try to give you a normal procurement process. What happens is they have a standard percentage participation. This procurement process had none. Meaning we need minorities at 10%. We need minorities at Mm -hmm. 10%. We need women at X percent. Mm -hmm. What was clever about this procurement process, it said, we're not going to give you any. And because one of the selection criteria was 25%, people had to be creative. They had to think about at what level they should come in with participation on what I call over the life cycle, pre-construction, construction, and then afterwards. People had to come up with diversity and inclusion over the whole process. And I think that was the game changer, as he mentioned, because for us, there is normally a pre-qualification and certification process that really doesn't allow you to get to the front door. Mm -hmm. So if you don't check the boxes with capacity and all these other certification requirements, contractors don't get to the front door. Dwayne and his team, with the vision, they were very bold in saying, well, we're going to have it at the development level. So they have to come in with the architects and contractors and the designees from the beginning. So you're on the project at the beginning. So for us, it's no more participation. It's more of a contribution. You're you're contributing to the project. It's true partnership. It's absolutely true partnerships. I mean, we wouldn't find ourselves... Janie is a general contractor. And one of the challenges are how do you grow black or minority general contractors in particular in the public space? And it was difficult because there is criteria set up. And so this model allowed us to partner with a larger firm and get across the bridge and grow as a general contractor. And if we grow as a general contractor, we can employ large minority subcontractors. And let me just underscore that. So on this project, you're a contractor. Mm-hmm. Normally, in any of these kinds of minority participation projects, you'd be subcontracted to one specific area. And then that's it. We're talking about you and your company spread across the entire project, embedded, if you will, at every level. Exactly. For us, we've been doing this for 30 years. This is a cultural change to the industry on how you create 
meaningful partnerships and grow capacity with small businesses, period. I mean, there is no other way but to integrate with a large contractor and get in a space that you wouldn't otherwise have been able to undertake. So this is huge for us. That's my guest, Greg Janey. He's a founding partner and chief executive of Janey Construction Management and Consulting in Boston. Now, let me move over to Mikyung, landscape architect and owner of the firm Mikyung Kim Design, because you are working on the design of the hotel and the whole project itself, which is actually larger just as the footprint of the hotel. Talk about how you came to be involved with the project. We are part of the design team, and we were called by the local Boston architects, Elkis Manfredi, and they asked us to join the team. I think what's really important about this project for us is it's the type of project. 20 years ago, when we began our firm as a kind of minority woman-owned firm, There were opportunities for us here in Boston, but they tended to be outside of the city. They were smaller projects and less impactful. To be a part of a project that's really reshaping this part of Seaport and participating in city building, it's a different ballgame for us to be part of the discussion and have a seat at the table. I've seen over the last 20 years, Boston itself has really transformed. So just talking about the kind of cultural transformations of the city, I was reading recently that just 50, 60 years ago, the minority population in Boston was at 5%. And today, it's Latino, African-American, Asian-American is at 46%. So for me, it seems like a no-brainer. Why shouldn't the design team represent the community that we serve? So it's an exciting time. I mean, I just think Boston has really transformed the 20 years I've been in business here. It's a place now where you can one night go hear Mozart's Requiem at Symphony Hall, and then you can eat Persian food one night and have Japanese ramen the next night. And that's what makes a really vibrant and cosmopolitan city. I think the other aspect of our participation that's like tied into this kind of diversity aspect of things is Boston's a young city. I think I read recently that One-third of Boston's population is under 35. We just did a huge piece on millennials, and you are correct. And and the fate of the city uh, is actually in their hands. Nobody wants to believe that, but that's the truth. That's right. So continue. That's right. (laughs) So I think that that really makes, as a design team, to see a kind of vibrant, diverse group of people sitting at the table, I think that feels modern. It feels contemporary, and it feels fresh. I think that this is a sea change and it's a transformation that's been happening for us as designers and us as a firm over the last 20 years. So, again, because this is so revolutionary, really, that's the term that I can use, what does it mean to be the firm that, as you said, in the past you might get a project here or there on the outside You're in the center now, which means that the final project is going to reflect your perspective and all that you bring from both your expertise, but who you are as both a woman and an Asian-American woman and an Asian-American woman living in Boston. What does that mean? Well, I think that everyone on the design team understands that. So when we came to our first meeting a few weeks ago to really do some idea generation, there was a real sense of... We've got to make this an exciting and vibrant place that attracts young people and attracts a diversity of people. The other thing that we feel that this project needs to bring is a sense of a neighborhood. Seaport has been built up so quickly, and that's good and bad. I mean, I think it's very exciting. But a city 
is not just made up of a bunch of buildings. It is the fabric of that kind of pedestrian realm, the destinations, the plazas, the parks that really make a sense of a neighborhood and a community. And so the Omni Hotel is a seed because that area of Seaport is really undeveloped. It feels like these big box buildings without really a sense of a kind of pedestrian scale. So I think what's exciting about this project is, A, it's an opportunity, it's a seed, it's, it will be the first bike lane that's a kind of mm. uh, standalone bike lane. So it seems a little ridiculous now because it's going to be on our block on Summer Street, but it's it's kind of hopefully it will grow and extend to D Street. It will have sidewalk cafes, roof terraces, and we'll just have a whole bunch of activity. And, so and it'll that, have what you think it ought to look like. <laughs> and, it will, and it will have design, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> it, will, it won't have any red brick. You know, it will be looking forward and really making something that's both during the day and at night, something exciting. So people say, wow, you know, there's something new going on here. And that young people, 20, 30-year-olds, will want to come there, even if they're not staying at the Omni. So I want to get back to the whole breaking outside of traditional networks, because this is what this represents. Each of you have talked about there are certain entrenched networks in town. Hey, nobody's saying there's anything wrong with that. But we're saying that it's so hard if those networks have already been there. Those people have worked with people they work with. And, you know, so why should they change? Why should anybody else be brought in, certainly at an equitable level? Dwayne, when you think about the impact of now breaking open networks so that people on both sides can find each other and see each other's value, worth, expertise, that's an impact that can't go away because you don't go back after this, right? Right, right. right. I think there are two uh, interesting points about this. One is that I'm originally from New York, so I look at life rather differently, and Boston is rather parochial in its behavior. When I proposed this, the idea of equity and professional services and workforce, the question was, well, who in Boston can participate in a half a billion dollar deal? I said, well, there are a number of national uh, private equity real estate firms that I'm familiar with, and I just ran the names down. And the intent was to, one, demonstrate that there was diverse capacity in this country to participate in the deal, and then, two, to structure it in such a way that Um, We didn't create a platform where private equity came in and then invested and then took the money out. So there was the intent of if we needed to go outside of our network, then they had to have some local participation. What is interesting with the successful team was that they pooled both local capital and they aligned themselves with David Robinson, a former NBA player that has a a private equity firm uh, that specializes in real estate. But we had that across the board, Callie. What was interesting is that we hired Ernie Green, Little Rock Nine or Ernie Green, which, you know. If people don't know the Little Rock Nine, Ernie Green was one of nine students that helped integrate Little Rock High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, under uh, the presidency of Dwight Eisenhower. It's a major significant event in civil rights history. And he went on to have a quite distinguished life. And in the last part of his life, he's been dealing in uh, money and equity uh, issues. Mm -hmm. He was formerly at Lehman. Mm -hmm. So we brought the CEO of Massport, Tom Glenn, and Ernie worked together. He brought Ernie up, and we asked Ernie to do national outreach to identify capital sources. 
there were two points. One was that there was a, a sense that Massachusetts and specifically Boston was a closed community and that we were, would not be taken seriously. So he literally went out and had conversations with most of the, the major private equity investors to come into Boston, take a look, talk to us, see how seriously we were in, engaged in trying to change the paradigm in Boston. So yeah, I mean, I, to your point, it was a closed shop. We opened it up. We demonstrated that we were serious. And I think as a result, we have shown that there is an ability for large firms to associate with smaller firms, to grow capacity internally, as well as seek outside capital to make deals happen here in the, in the city. So before you speak, Greg, let me just uh, say this. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are Dwayne Jackson of Massport. You just heard him. Greg Janey, founding partner and chief executive of Janey Construction Management and Consulting, and landscape architect Mikyong Kim. We're discussing the forward-thinking business model of the Omni Hotel project at Boston Seaport. That project is scheduled to begin in 2018 and be completed in 2021. Greg, at the announcement in May when we saw the renderings and heard from lots of folks, including the governor, about this project, Ernie Green was there. And he stated, we need to let folks know that this is more than brick and mortar. This is about people's lives. That was his quote. But to the point of his bringing in folks from outside and they're needing to be convinced that Boston, and here's the word I heard, is a welcoming city. Speak to that and what Dwayne was saying is happening prior to the project. What it means to me, again, is cultural change. I'd like to tag on to Dwayne's point in responding to you. Two things. One, Richard Taylor, who's part of the development team, contacted <laughs> us as a general contractor. New Boston Hospitality Correct. Group. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and put us on the team early. Yeah. And said to Janie, look, you're going to be part of the general contracting team. So you ask yourself, so why is that important? It's important because it empowered Janie to go out and get a partner instead of having a majority partner seek minority participation. That doesn't happen. And but for this partnership that Dwayne created or this procurement process, we wouldn't have gotten a call. And so that's the kind of cultural change that has happened. And I heard Dwayne talk about it's going to continue to happen. That, that's really the first thing. So when you ask me what kind of change comes about, I wanted to, to first mention that. And I want to get back to your second question, mm. becoming welcoming. Mm. So as a result of this model, the partner that we're partnering up right now is with Mariotti Associates, a general contractor, very large general contractor, who after this called us a week later and said, you know, I'm buying into this, and we're going we're gonna to work together on a project that has zero minority requirements. We're going to work together because I believe in this model that grows capacity for small minority contractors. So this is going to really change the way people think about how business should be done in Boston, period. It should change that. There shouldn't be a requirement to get people involved on a project. I don't really even like the word participation. Mm. I like to change it to, I don't know, something different, you know, contribution, Mm -hmm. equity, something different, because participation to me is taking the ride. How do we look at it differently? How do we integrate and contribute to the project? What is helpful and useful for us is if you can transfer the experience. Mm -hmm. And so if you participate on a project and I go interview for another project, they say, well, what did you do? I can't really articulate that. Unless that experience, you can transfer that experience, it's no good. This model allows Janie, as a general contractor, to really transfer its experience to a new venture. It's really 
very, very different from what has been traditionally done in, in Boston. So, Mikyung, I'm interested in, let me bring together two things, the whole Boston becoming welcoming and, let's move aside, participation to integral, equitable mm-hmm. partnership. Right. And you're using the phrase that this project, in your professional life, for the first time you feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. And I wish you would talk about that a little bit more. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, I think when a project has these kind of parameters and guidelines, Our business is very much about pick up the phone, like Greg's, and get the call. And so when there are kind of grooves of patterns, I'd say 15 years ago it was hard for us to get that call. But in this project, I have a funny story. So Elkis Manfredi is the architect that we're working with. And so the late Howard Elkis and David Manfredi, I remember I'd been working on idea generation for the first phase of this project when we were competing for it, and then there was a lull, and then there was a second phase, and we were standing outside of City Hall, and they were saying to me, oh, there's this new minority requirement, and everyone's just looking for to add minorities, and I'm standing there in front of them, and I'm mm-hmm. saying, I'm a minority <laughs> woman-owned firm, and it made me feel great mm-hmm. because... They didn't see my color, my gender, that the first phase of that. And so they were very enlightened in how they selected us up front. And then we were very lucky that that we helped to fulfill some of the requirements of the project. So in this project, I think that it was a kind of happy coincidence But in general, when there are these guidelines for these kind of large-scale projects in these prominent locations, these kind of guidelines help us immensely because people start to say it's that same question that Duane brought up is we have new people calling us, new architects, new developers, and saying, okay, we saw your name on this list. We want to meet you. And that just wouldn't happen ordinarily, not because there's anything nefarious going on, but I think it's because people get into these Mm. habits and they develop friendships. And so it's just really a great time for us to be in business as designers. So as people are listening to this, I'm getting a lot of people saying, so what? So I like to ask people to answer the so what question. And the so what in this case is all of us in this room are on the same page saying that this is a good thing, that to have an integral, equitable partnership, I'm trying to make sure I don't say uh, participation, Greg, has elevated this in a way that had never been seen before. It is actually revolutionary. And so for the people listening, like, okay, so, you know, you guys get equitable partnership. What does that mean bigger than this project? Dwayne. You know I'm going to jump I know on you that. Have some, I know you have something to say. Go ahead. Well, you know, um, we both know that you've had a number of shows about the economic disparity in this city. Uh, that's real. The bigger takeaway and impact is, one, the capacity to do larger and larger jobs, projects. The impact is the ability to employ more people. And the bigger implication is the multiplier, the economic multiplier that is associated with that. And to be quite honest with you, that was part of our dialogue internally. That is part of my, was part of my dialogue with Tom Glenn when I met him and when he was coming in as CEO. I said, Tom, infrastructure development can be a major economic catalyst, not only for to support activity in this city, but to initiate social change. And we have the unique capacity to do that as probably one of the wealthiest 
public agency because of landing fees and our real estate holdings. So we can make that change. And you know the adage, you, it's better to get 50% of something or 100% of nothing. Mm. And so that has been my operating principle as I have gone into this venture, basically saying, look, we have some of the, the best real estate in the country. Therefore, we're going to leverage that to ensure that everybody has an equitable opportunity to participate in the wealth of this city. So that's the, that's the deal. So maybe the person that isn't interested in becoming a contractor may, may want to become <laughs> <laughs> you have to answer. Greg, answer the so what question. Sure, the so what is, I got to go back to the barriers. Mm-hmm. And so what you would find prior to this is I can't find any qualified minority contractors with the capacity because people relied on a list. And that public list said this person had a capacity of X or Y. This model erases the list. Janie would not have been able to participate if they depended on that qualification. So now we find ourselves on this multi-million dollar project that we would normally not been able to qualify for. Okay, that's so what good that for means, Greg Janey. What does that mean bigger? Okay, so what that <laughs> means bigger, so where I'm going is what that means bigger, and I want to introduce it because we're a general contractor. I want to go back to what we employ. Because we're a general contractor and we have the ability to employ subcontractors, electricians, plumbers, floor carpenters, et cetera, we now can create that same model on a lower tier. So we say, Joe, the plumber, you only have a capacity of $5 million. We're going to partner you with a large plumbing company, just like we're partnered with a large general contractor, and bring that opportunity to a plumber. And it goes down further. What then that means is Janie, as a general contractor, gets to employ young black people from Northeastern and Wentworth and all these STEM communities in the office that have careers now, not just temporary jobs in construction, that are employed as engineers that can grow into vice presidents and presidents and take over my firm. And so it has a large impact that goes all the way down to creating the next new general contractor that can move itself up clearly knocks down the barriers and removes the excuses of what we can't find anybody to participate. We can't find anybody. This model opens up the gates, period. And so if you have those people who are employed, just to put a button on what you just said, then they are working and then they are paying taxes. And then the stubborn, even in this wealthy state, meaning that we have a lower unemployment rate than many states, still the area where there is the highest unemployment are among those minority communities. So if you are eliminating some of that unemployment at a higher level and elevating, then we're closing the economic gap. And then all boats rise because then my taxes are hopefully going down and some other things are going to happen as a result of everybody's in the pool. Mi Kyung, answer the so what question. Well, <laughs> let me take it from the another point of view. I hear this in the kind of larger national political dialogue, which is why does diversity matter? I'm saying that in a nicer way than it's been said. And I think Boston is a very liberal city. It is at the forefront of kind of trying these new things. And I think there's an ethical stance. If Boston is made up, almost half of Boston population is made up of minorities, shouldn't there be more leaders that reflect the community that they serve? And I just think that these are all kind of very slow changes that are happening. And they have to, there's just this process, I think, that when this 46% of Latinos, African-Americans, Asian-Americans see us on your show mm-hmm. or they see us in the Boston Globe. It's another way of lifting all the boats, which is there are these symbols that young people in the city need to see, I think. And so there's a kind of larger 
ethical and socioeconomic thing that are tied together. But I think all of these things help to contribute to a kind of sense of greater equality, a greater sense of welcoming, as you said in the previous question. I just think it can only help when all of the population in Boston feels like they are included and they are part of the dialogue. So we've established that this is going to have an impact in many ways, and transformative really is the word as, as we talk about it. This is a public project, Dwayne, a big public sector project is what is my point. What is the possibility of what is happening here in the way that it's happening coming over to be a standard also in the private sector? So there are two points. One, it is a private transaction. Mm-hmm. It is on public land. We lease our land for on long-term leases. So this is, in fact, uh, it was a public solicitation. We hope that it is adopted because I think it's, quote-unquote, the right thing to do. The idea of the social impact that was just articulated is part of the agenda. But I have—we were very intentional in saying that we cannot impose this on the private sector— The private sector must see the value proposition that this presents for Boston as a city and for its inhabitants as residents here, residents. And let me interrupt you to say, this is about money. So people people are making money here. Absolutely. We need to make that clear. Absolutely. (laughs) It's not a subsidized transaction. (laughs) In fact, I mean, the reason that it is successful and supported by the governor was because it didn't require uh, any public sector involvement, any subsidies. So... Uh, We believe that we will, meaning Massport, is committed to continue this as a demonstration project, if you will, to show that there is no compromise on quality, on performance, on profitability. You know, hopefully there will be more enlightened private contractors, and I mean that as businesses, Mm -hmm. that are willing to open their eyes and see the talent that is embedded in our respective communities. There's no guarantee, but we know that we can continue to highlight that wealth of talent through the very public and very high-profile projects that we will continue to see develop in, in in the Seaport District. You want to add, Greg? I would like to add, there's evidence that this is seeping over to the private market. Richard Taylor and I were in D.C., with the chamber, I guess, about a month ago. And in fact, I have a a meeting with somebody that was influenced by this model. We brought up the fact that the private market has a responsibility as well to produce the same model as the public. And it got brought up during this particular forum. What came out of that was a phone call from a developer that said, hey, Janie, I want to meet you because I want to discuss how we as a developer can model as Massport did. That is a fact. I could tell you three or four other stories exactly like that. So I guess the point is it's not just the public, it's the private, it's all of us. To your point, to the architect's point about diversity, we always talk about even in our engineering world, diversity is better. Anything diverse. Anything diverse is going to create a better product. People shouldn't be afraid of diversity no matter what it is. So I guess the point is it already has migrated its way into the private market, and hopefully you'll hear what's going to happen soon about that. Mikyong, do you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, so I think that the construction industry has traditionally been very male-dominated. So it's really interesting. I have seen also, as Greg has seen, that in the last five or six years, uh, major developers have started reaching out to us, not because there are requirements, but I think they're interested in trying new things. And the first conversation we have with them is 
how do we make this wow-tastic? You know, mm-hmm. how do we bring young people? And, and I think they're looking at people like us and saying they represent a kind of maybe a different point of view and they can bring something fresh to the table. So I think it's seeping through. It's a slow process. But I think for us, it's not just being a minority firm, but also the construction industry is just notorious. Still, someone in my Mm -hmm. office just said to me the other day, you were the only woman in the room. And so I think there's a kind of slow transformation that needs to happen there as well. Well, Mikyung, I'm glad you're in the room. I'm glad all of you are in the room. I'm glad there is a room for you to be in. And I thank you for this conversation. I hope it's the first of many as we watch this project build. Again, the Omni Hotel project scheduled to start construction in 2018 and be done in 2021. And there's much more to say about this, and I hope you'll join us for those conversations as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dwayne Jackson is the vice chairman of the Massport Board of Directors. He is also the chairman of the Real Estate Strategic Initiatives Committee for Massport. Greg Janey is a founding partner and chief executive of Janey Construction Management and Consulting in Boston. And Mikyong Kim is a landscape architect and owner of the firm Mikyong Kim Design in Boston. Coming up, is there anything better than cold, creamy ice cream on a hot summer day? Not for those of us who live in Massachusetts. The Bay State is one of the top 10 ice cream consuming states in the country. We're celebrating National Ice Cream Day. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.